This is a News Laundry podcast and you're listening to the Media Rumble Sessions. Hello Josie, uh, welcome to the event by the Media Rumble. Thank you Media Rumble for having us again this year. In fact, this is my second session uh, on the Media Rumble itself. So, um I would just like to apologize. I have a really bad cold. I wanted to read out quite a few paragraphs from Josie's book, but I may not be able to do that. I would rather ask questions and then uh, make him elaborate. So this is a book uh, I really recommend that people buy the book and read it. In fact, being a journalist who has covered at least a few of the things book uh, including the Indian Mujahideen and uh, some of the arrests of the Indian Mujahideen, I have I was squirming reading some of the things in the book, but we'll come to that. So the book really is about uh, the deep state, how uh, pervasive uh, is India's deep state? Um, how long are the tentacles of India's security apparatus? How does it pervade into the lives of citizens? And uh, how does the Indian security apparatus actually use Indians versus Indians? How was it, uh, let's say, during Indira Gandhi's period, then Rajiv Gandhi, then Narendra Modi? Josie, of course, has not spared anyone, uh, but he has very um, important observations to make as to what is the difference in all these things before 2014 and after 2014. So I've got a lot of questions to ask him. First thing, uh, for those who have not read the book, I would just like to tell them that there are two parts to this book. The part looks at, at the Islamic terror, which is uh, Indian Mujahideen or uh, Lashkar-e-Toiba, the terrorists coming from Pakistan and doing the Mumbai attacks, a spate of attacks uh, uh, around 10 to 15 years ago. And the second part of the book looks at a bunch of incidents, like for example, uh, what happened in Kashmir, uh, the IPKF movement in Sri Lanka, and things like that. So Josie, why did you decide to uh, make the book into two parts? The first part, of course, getting the larger chunk, be- becoming the bigger part of your narrative. I mean, it's an unwieldy subject because uh, insurgencies and uh, terrorism has been part of uh, the very existence of Indian state from day one, because uh, even on the day that we became independent, the Naga rebellion had started. So uh, how do you bring all of it into a meaningful, readable, digestible structure was the most important aspect. Uh, in fact, the book was originally returned with the second part as the beginning. And the the first part that you read about Wahid's story was actually the second part. But it was my editors who said, no, let's reverse it because Wahid's story is so disturbing and so uh, detailed. I completely and so agree with them. I completely agree. <laughs> so, yeah, so so I agreed. I, I think I don't fight with meditators. So I said, yeah, whatever you decide. So uh, it was just about how do you find, uh, see, when you write, uh, then as you know, when you write a book, uh, uh, especially nonfiction or even a novel, uh, you're trying to make several arguments and, and several claims and several uh, evidences through digestible, uh, interesting, uh, informative and, and uh, engaging narrative, right? So... Hmm. This is a structure that I could find out. Uh, maybe tomorrow, maybe six months down the line, I may tell you, Sheet, man, this is not really good. I could have read it better. So the book, again, for those who have not read the book, the book actually, the first part of the book tells the story of a man called Wahid from Mumbai. I mean, by the time I finished reading the first part, I lost track of how many times Wahid was arrested uh, and detained by various wings of the Mumbai police and other uh, police uh, uh, systems because... They wanted him to be the accused. They wanted to implicate him in almost every terror attack which happened in the country uh, in almost a decade. And finally, he does get implicated in the train bombings in Bombay and he gets acquitted. So it is through Wahid. Josie tells us the story of how uh, the system works, the deep state really works. I want to read out uh, something from uh, page 21, Josie, where you are saying, I mean, through the first part, you establish you're someone who's tracked the intelligence systems in India very closely, but you are saying that your research and reporting tells you that Indian security establishment has a very loose system of auditing, one without any critical supervision. And as a result, Indian agencies have fake information pouring in through their vast network, which has dramatically and adversely impacted India's war on terror. So reading this book, it really surprised me. Like for example, uh, there, there are so many instances which you have given where informants would give wrong information, people would act on wrong information, or when there was right information, for example, the whole Mumbai terror attack, when there were at least six intelligence inputs saying that the attacks are going to happen, nobody acted on it. 
but why is that things are not changing or do you believe that things have changed now at least after the bombay attacks no no actually things have got worse okay, so okay. we created uh, yeah we created national investigation agency nia to deal with uh, national terror threats uh, and we wanted it to be our premier uh, agency but today if you look at nia's performance and record it's quite embarrassing they have become in a decade that agency has managed to become of almost a laughing stock I mean, except in the minds of the people who are in government today and is a laughing stock i mean the way they are trying going about communally trying to save certain kind of terrorists and and and, and trying to implicate certain others and kind of the absurd claims that they keep making etc so uh, it has gotten worse and the contamination of uh, information uh, meaning all uh, all intelligence security agencies in the world Uh, their performance is directly linked to the quality of the information that comes in right it's it's like you and me i mean uh, there is not not very there's not very much difference between media and uh, security agencies uh, information the quality of the information decides the output of what we do and 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 the contamination that started decades ago uh, continues and today it has reached uh, very alarming proportions because today the contamination is not just from uh, bad sources but it's also because of political reasons hmm. so uh, what was an apolitical activity of very incompetent people uh, of informants and you know bad information has now been politicized too so in into the incompetence of information flow we have added uh, very uh, bad politics so now we are in complete mess it's deep shit so it's 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 it's, it's forget forget <laughs> any it's i mean i think we should rename the war on terror or something else because they communalize the thing to those listening in uh, josie how would you explain how bad is the security apparatus as uh, when it comes to loose auditing because intelligence is something which is crucial to any uh, security apparatus right so when you say india system is loosely audited can you explain to those listening in why you say that so take take an agency like cia or mi6 or any of the uh, intelligence agencies of the uh, global uh, mature democracies and most even the, even autocracies when you have mr a as an informant supplying information x it comes from the field it goes to the agency and there is a desk officer analyst who are analyzing it and it is it is filed there they can identify who is mr a and what is the x information that they gave and how right was it now if the agency finds uh, and there is regular and uh, systematic audit of that information mm-hmm. if they find that mr a is planting wrong information making money out of them they will cut him off mm. in india we don't have any strong audit of the information flow mm. so which means there is no outsider looking at it there is no expert committee auditing the information flow nor is it accountable to parliament see all said and done if you look at the american failure in iraq meaning the cia was fooled by the agencies the fact is that that, that the fact that cia was fooled has been held accountable and audited by at the congress level the the congressional committees of the us government have audited after 911 attacks if you see the 911 reports investigation it was done at a political level and they just scrutinized every piece of information no no officer no idiot will have the courage to say that oh you know this information is very sensitive it should not be shown to the politician because ultimately we are a democracy so there is no audit of the information and audit of the quality of sources so we have created and probably this is the one industry where maybe uh, then you might want to start a vertical on your side which will be completely dedicated to this industry this recession proof industry called informants mm-hmm. and, and it's flourishing yeah so um, an- another thing that you also mentioned by speaking now which is a continuous theme through the book is how indian intelligence and indian security personnel create fake narratives now whether it's communal now throughout the mumbai terror attacks and other terror attacks during the upa time you have elaborately explained how uh, there was a lot of pressure uh, to create fake narratives of course there were a lot of muslims who were involved in some of these terror attacks but to incarcerate a larger number of people who had nothing to do with it who were members of the simi and other organizations before those organizations became violent so why do you think these fake narratives started in the indian establishment and then it went on to a level see for example wahid story wahid gets acquitted at one point there are so many stories which we have heard where people get acquitted though they were accused in cases but like what happened in america after the iraq war we do not see anyone being taken to task here is that another problem 
yeah there is no accountability your your police forces and the intelligence to uh, to at least to a large section of the indian population they are mere uh, goons thugs right so there is no accountability and uh, uh, there are hundreds and thousands of whites out there who are not necessarily muslims islamophobia is a big mm. part of the problem but if you go back in time uh, what you see is that uh, yeah we have been a nation at uh, uh, it's an incomplete nationhood we had uh, and it's a very complex human process indian democracy a very complex experiment uh, from uh, very early we have got naga rebellion and kashmir and this and that northeast uh, etc uh, uh, but that is where the strength of a democracy or a state comes in that you deal with the challenges without compromising yourself you do not become like the terrorists that they are dealing with or the militants that you are fighting but in our agencies over the years what has happened is that they have began to behave like the lawless criminals that they deal with you saw what happened in assam uh, yesterday right the video i mean the disturbing video that came out and 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 mind you the immediate response of the police force or the agencies whoever it was to was to spread fake news into some of the mainstream media Hmm. so there is no accountability uh, at all and this lack of accountability peaks with uh, let's say 90s kashmir flare and we have had uh, we got bloody nose in sri lanka but instead of taking the right lessons from sri lanka or kashmir we are going into the end of the millennium uh, in in a, in a, in a state of confusion and then you have the kandahar hijack hmm. and and then you have the 911 attacks and that's that's a turning point and then they go berserk and then wahids of the world are all incarcerated and then they have no account nobody's questioning they just create narratives and and if you look at attacks like the parliament attack or any of the major attack many of the attacks you will find the footprints of some aspects of security agencies so the question for a legitimate indigenous person then becomes was some part of the state involved in the parliament attack was some part of the indian state agencies involved in orchestrating the so called hindu terror organization these are very serious legitimate questions which people it's not me people at various levels have over the years raised questions and a lot of documents prove it that there is reason to be investigated but we never investigated the we let in fact some of those people who should have actually been on trial for those acts have gone on to have very flourishing careers so last the first decade of the, this millennium after the 911 once george bush gave you the the, the most simplistic foolish uh, dictum saying that either you are with us or with the enemy uh, you go and ban simi and uh, you have a uh, po- police and intelligence which has very little of deep roots within the muslim community they just go around goes berserk and and, and 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 you look at all the charge sheets filed in simi cases they all read the same mm. they are all because it's cut and paste from the other so The, 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 instead of targeting the right terrorists, they went after the wrong Muslims. Instead mm. of arresting the right Islamic terrorists, they 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 see. So in the in the decade la, before last, the first decade after millennium, you have two terrorist groups bombing your cities, and India has never seen such a phenomenon. You got the Indian Mujahideen and the Hindu terror group, which is bombing your cities. And what does our police and intelligence do? they are going and faking evidence against people like wahid they are creating fake narratives they are they are questioning people like me who were reporting saying that look there is something else happening and they were silencing every critic and instead of going after the right lead they were going after the the creating fake narratives and and we lost hundreds we lost thousands of our citizens my problem with this is not just about the islamophobia or anything my problem is also that then you have fundamentally we as a state as citizens as responsible people as journalists as institutions we owe it to those people who are grieving that they need to have closure they should know who killed their dear ones it cannot be the wild imagination of some idiot sitting in a police force so no. from godhra to to everywhere i'm saying there is no closure to the grieving families so in through the book whether you talk about godhra you talk about kashmir sri lanka manipur or even the terror attacks uh, in the recent years you have you have said that two major problems one is loose auditing of india's intelligence systems and second is a fake narratives created now as a journalist when i go to events and people ask me in english and hindi tv media why do they behave like this they are also communal to a large extent so initially i used to think that maybe it's a revenue models it's easier for them to get money from the government etc 
But recently, I've started to believe that it's not just about revenue. The people who run these channels believe in what they're saying. They are part of the establishment. They're part of the system. And they have those communal thoughts, I think. So what, what do you believe actually uh, is a compulsion for our security apparatus to make these fake narratives? I mean, you have made a mention saying that the result of the bias is visible in administrative structures. RAW, for instance, does not employ Muslims in its ranks. The SPG excludes six. The IB, it appears to me, continues to rely heavily on interrogation reports that have been created to and manipulated by its own officers. The NIA Mumbai attacks of 2018 also appears to have sacrificed its professionalism at the altar of political masters. So what is this big compulsion for all these officers to actually make fake narratives? Uh, I think they are all careerists, you know. Uh, the, the fact is that the are in a very amoral society. If you want to have a peaceful sleep, either you have to get drunk or you have to do things that won't keep you awake in the night. And, and so obey the political masters. Uh, uh, act the script that they give you and uh, spread uh, the narratives that they want to hear. And you mentioned about the media. Uh, there are a few different types of journalists I have, um, we have all encountered in our lives. One are uh, those uh, reporters, beat reporters, who are very pressed for time and uh, who often get misled because not that they are not good reporters, but they don't have the time, luxury of time. So they get misled by agencies, police, etc. And they go and file something wrong. Uh, but there's a second type, which is the more dangerous type, which are see fairly senior people who have... Uh, luxury of time and who have got more command within their organizations, uh, who have famous bylines and uh, who are willing partners in creating these narratives. Narratives, So they write better English, better adjectives, all that. And they, they very, uh, write in very uh, you know, uh, colorful language about the terror uh, script that they want the public to read. In the process, over the decades, these people, including sometimes maybe even I may be also part of that. Uh, I mean, I may have also unwittingly committed the same mistake, but we ultimately write against some innocent guy, right? Mm -hmm. And none of the Indian media has still date ever bothered to go back on its history and say, look, we've screwed up. We made a mistake. We should not, we should have had a better auditing. Then there's a third kind, which is the one sitting on top of it, the editors and the owners. They also have a financial incentive. And I say editor and owners, they're the same in this country. I don't think there are very many independent editors left other than in organizations like yours, where, which are smaller and you know non-legacy media organizations. In the legacy media organizations, editor is part of the management. Management uh, has to please the political masters of the day because of the way our media is organized. See, India's biggest advertiser is the government and its agencies, right? Up to 40, 50 percentage of the revenue of most of the publications come from the government or related agencies. Now, why would the management of the day uh, make the government unhappy and sit back without the revenue from that? And 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 uh, under Modi government, there is all, all obviously there is a very visible strategy of the government precisely even the private advertisers. So it's it's a direct loss of revenue. So it's okay if I if, if for a for a media baron, it's okay if I've gone to the best of the universities. I have till a decade ago use very liberal uh, uh, advocacy of Indian democracy. It's okay because my family uh, heirloom, my, 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 my quarterly results are protected. So mm -hmm. some of them are communal because they just don't want to compromise their financial comforts. Uh, and it's the same uh, for officers also, I, I believe, after reading the book, for a lot yeah. of officers. Yeah, so for the officers... So for the officers, it comes from the emergency era, post-emergency, they realize that it is always good to serve the master of the day. They are protected. No, but see, you know, look at people like Jack Mohan. Emergency era, he was like the, the face of the evil in Delhi. He went on to have a great, great uh, life. He became a union minister under BJP. And BJP was a victim of emergency and people like Jack Mohan, right? I mean, that's, that's absurdity of Indian democracy that officers who have served political parties and into to against the opposition, the opposition respects and honors them. So why should the bureaucrat be uh, do anything that is to uphold the constitution? He would rather make the uh, the politician of the day happy, right? So one part of the book which uh, really shocked me was, um, I mean, I will also explain to the people watching why it shocked me because it's about Dr. S. Malini. 
she used to work for the forensic science laboratory in bengaluru and as a reporter who covers stuff from south india many times i have stood outside her office and her house because she is this mrs miss narco very well known and she was all over television because of various uh, high profile cases where she had done the narco analysis and of course after a certain point of time narco analysis itself became outlawed um, but there is a part in this book where you are talking about how doc how there is an allegation that dr s malini does the narco test on wahid who is uh, accused of being part of the bombay uh, train bombings and then she basically asked him ran so his allegation is that she asked him question like what is the neighboring country of india so he will say pakistan or he will she will ask him how many have four four these are random questions right when the edited version comes she will say who the guests how many guests came to your house four which country did they come from pakistan so this is how they try to implicate him i mean and to now if wahid's uh, allegations are indeed true what surprises me is that why did nothing happen to someone like dr s malini how many people like this do we have in our system who have no regard for constitution for human rights etc and does that really bother you as a journalist after reading this it bothered me that at some point of time i must have covered her without any filter yeah i mean uh, uh, you, you know not just you all of us have covered her without filter because uh, for 20 25 years india's most sensational terror and known terror criminal cases from telgi stamp scam onwards uh, it was malini's narco test that uh, laid the foundation for all our reporting and uh, court cases and uh, judgments and she must have done at least a thousand narco tests if i'm not wrong and uh, after she was uh, caught out as a fraud and uh, for forgery uh, i don't think any police has gone back to look at her recommendations or findings mm. of the past but she is not an exception Hmm. uh mind you only weeks ago we saw the jnk police uh, kashmir police uh, acquitting i mean uh, devender singh who's who whose name very prominently appeared in the parliament attack case and who was caught while accompanying a group of terrorists again to delhi uh, he was uh, to be discharged from service without an inquiry because for national interest i mean my national interest is not in protecting a criminal if if a criminal sitting out there since he has power thinks that he has a right to decide what course this country should take then you are mistaken in this democracy you and i citizens empowered with liberty citizens empowered by the constitution have equal right to know the truth truth is a foundation of democracy devender singh has no fucking uh, right to be acquitted like that Hmm. And and you go across the country, Dinya. Uh, in Tamil Nadu, we saw that father and son being killed by police, right? Hennig How many are in jail? Hmm. Right? I mean, you. That's one of the cases Luxembourg. actually where action was taken fast because of the public outrage. I think. Maybe uh, look look at Manipur. Manipur, uh, almost two thousand people were killed in fake encounters. You got some fifty policemen finally on trial, but it's move, the, the 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 wheels of justice is moving so slowly. every landscape in, in fact if you look at india from a satellite you could actually mark out the the condos and the boundaries and cities of this country uh, based on our uh, torture chambers custodial killings and uh, this crazy uh, intelligence and policemen who are stamping over and and the constitution on daily basis but if malini or raghuvanshi who was heading the ats of bombay who also you speak a lot about in this book about his uh, ways of torturing people and in fact i was reading that he's now the ethics head of a cricket team rajasthan royals i mean the man who's accused of pouring hot oil into some is actually an ethics officer uh, but yes but if a malini or a raghuvanshi or the killers of benix and jairaj are not aberrations as you call them what is really the solution for us as a country Uh, is it only in police reforms what what should we do uh, should we make more noise about it what is the solution so there are uh, so, see there are two three ways of looking at it one is that uh, we uh, as ordinary citizens of this country we have to speak up more we have to be louder we have to we have to be screaming and shouting for justice in the public squares that's very clear whether as journalists or as individual journalists without that there is no option because the only thing that gets your attention is noise the second thing is that i think citizens should mass petition the courts every time there's a human rights violation let's see when when the courts will wake up and and there are there is enough history of indian judiciary having acted in 
on the side of the citizen on the side of the constitution the third is that it is not rocket science then yeah there is the reform is doable these are there are replicable models out there in the west or out there in mature democracies and there are judgments in this country we just need to implement them we just need to hold these buggers whoever it is the political masses who are remote controlling the security establishment etc we just need to ensure that the law is held we are not we are, we are such a see what happened uh, i think is the post 90s uh, the liberalization you know the, the first generation that benefited out of it we were all busy buying our apartments and cars you know that uh, some thieves gave and ran, almost ran away with our constitution that's what happened and we need to recover so you look at look at the power hierarchy of this country today i mean who are there in power these are people who are accused of murders or cheats uh, across the political spectrum huh? or 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 some political uh, princelings uh, or some uh, idiot uh, who while in service had messed up things who is now given important positions so i think we all turned our gaze away from the constitution and we are paying the praise for it hmm. and we took our eyes off what our parents our grandparents achieved we we took for granted what the gandhian generation achieved which was to create the world's largest most complex democratic process ever uh, experiment ever we thought it's there forever no it's and that's what my book is trying to argue you have been very scathing about rajiv gandhi and uh, what happened uh, at least in two instances one is the rigging of the kashmir election in 1987 and almost simultaneously what happened in sri lanka when rajiv gandhi takes his decision of sending ipk just blows on his face and finally of course he's assassinated um how crucial you say that we turned our attention to the constitution right how crucial do you think that time period was i mean in uh, in india's decay really what happened in 1987 88 during rajiv gandhi's times and why did you choose yeah. those two instances we we should go a bit backward uh, mm-hmm. into the uh, 70s uh, let's say Uh, i don't know if there is a political family in the world in the human history which has nurtured a uh, terrorist who will end up killing their own family members meaning both indira gandhi and rajiv gandhi were assassinated by terrorist that they nurtured i'm sorry to say this that's a fact of it so gandhi family has paid terrible price for their misplaced notions ltt was created armed and trained by indira gandhi let's be honest about it rajiv gandhi and 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 kashmir uh, and 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 that ltt is what finally uh, brings down uh, takes rajiv gandhi assassinates rajiv gandhi the sikh terrorists uh, were uh, bindranwale was was selected and created by the congress and he and his men finally ends up finishing off indira gandhi right it's a very crazy story i mean i don't know any other family in the world which would have had to pay such dearly for their misplaced notions of power now uh, if you look at rajiv gandhi there are a lot of great things to talk about rajiv gandhi but my my lens of this book was purely through the uh, security framework of things um, if you look at kashmir uh, sheikh abdullah indira accord happens and uh, if you look that period after the late 70s and 80s uh, early 80s uh, kashmir actually had a relatively peaceful democratic period and then congress started moving the chess pieces on kashmir board which peaks with 1987 uh, state assembly elections where farooq abdullah and rajiv gandhi joined hands and 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 the rigging is beyond belief you 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 so what i mean it's it's unbelievable you know some uh, accepted his laws and gone back to bed usko bula ke matlab he's called back saying that you are the winner now you know go become the mlf i mean there are phone calls coming saying that you know the, the muslim united front candidates can't be the winners so the present day uh, or, or uh, including the uh, mr gilani who passed away few days ago and uh, the hizbul mujahideen chief commander uh, uh, the chief uh, uh, sayed salahuddin etc they were all active participants in the 1987 elections it was a generation of kashmiris who believed in our democratic process who were humiliated thrashed jailed and abused who and then became militants i i mean should it be surprising to a sane human being so and then and then rajiv gandhi is relentless because a young energetic prime minister right he then thinks that he can bring peace to sri lanka actually uh, he and prabhakaran have a very short lived friendship 
where Prabhagan is in Delhi, Rajiv Gandhi makes his son Rahul bring his bulletproof jacket, which is gifted to Prabhagaran. Prabhagaran takes a jacket and goes back. And before Prabhagaran lands in uh, Sri Lanka, you already have the Indian peacekeeping force with some tourist map thinking that they are going to be bringing peace. Uh, and uh, they are told that these are our boys. You know, don't worry about the Tamil militants. Uh, without paying attention to the, the, the repeated assault on the dignity of the Sri Lankan Tamils done by the Sri Lankan government over the years and the anger that was... Uh, that was uh, dammed in there you go in within uh, by the third month uh, as you know the the ltt and ipk turned bitter enemies and rajiv sends the uh, words one of the most powerful militaries on one of the most unbelievable operations to capture prabhagaran and uh, it ends in disaster prabhagaran escapes and he plots back and gets rajiv gandhi right so so in the 80s the period that you pointed out late 80s that period is very crucial and mm -hmm. to understand how political masters who manipulate our security intelligence apparatus ends up ruining democracy for some people, if not all the people. Hmm. And that's what's happening again. Hmm. Okay, now before we come to the present period, I just talk a little bit about the Manmohan Singh era, which, which is not discussed too much, but yes, you do go into Salva Judam. And you also say that, uh, you know, India is one country where continuously governments have tried to turn its people against its own people. Small militias, or you make, uh, you know, uh, within one state itself, you make different groups. So that strategy has not worked out for India in many states. But why do we continuously employ that? Uh, uh, one step back, Manmohan uh, Singh period is when Wahid actually goes through the trial. So correct, correct. it's not that I, sp I spared him anyway. So uh, see, what has happened is that. Uh, uh, Indian political class, political leadership, uh, gave up the, the 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 responsibility of building a mature democracy long ago. Maybe with emergency or whatever. So, and it is the the bureaucrats, the technocrats, the policemen who are deciding your policy actually. And what do these people do? Someone goes to Ireland. Someone goes to Latin America and sees, oh, okay, you can you can form militias by the people. Let me go and form militia. So you create the Kwanis in Kashmir, you create militias in, uh, you know, and you arm the Salva Judah, and you set your people to kill each other. Hmm. That's not democracy. This is crude autocracy. But our politicians don't have the time, they don't understand. Third, they don't want to piss off the police or the Indians because these are the people who are going to do the dirty job for them when they want it. Right? So they're all in it together. Whatever the public statement they might make, they're all in it together. And they make, they set people against each other, cousins kill cousins. And, you know, you know we, become, we have become a civilization which eats its own children, simply put. Hmm. And, and, and you look at the ruin that has caused, that policy has caused across the landscape. So you also mentioned, okay, of course, uh, I was talking about the second part of the book where you go more into Rajiv Gandhi and uh, the first part of the book is completely dedicated to Manmohan Singh and Narendra Modi regimes. You also say in between, there's a one line you sneaked in between, I have a doubt on that. You said 2011-2014, the CBI, ED and other agencies. Why did you say that? No, I, I, I said that because statistically and factually, if you look at it, when the India against corruption begins, it takes off, uh, Supreme Court is actually very empowered. If you remember the judgments and the control and the court monitored supervised investigations, and CB and DD were all uh, doing the right job of investigating the masters in power, investigating the big crime, corruption, following the big cases where country has lost the most. Not like today. Today, you know, uh, income taxes after people like uh, you and uh, Abhinandan and everybody in the world. Uh, uh, I don't they know whether they notice every two weeks. Huh. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what I mean. So, because for them, you are giving the time. No the four funds in Mauritius which has propped up Adani to a certain level and, and the same funds have played crucial role in subverting and collapse of some of India's biggest uh, bank loan defaulters. No, that doesn't mm -hmm. matter. The mm -hmm. near Rajendran Abhinandan Sikri matters because you people talk the truth, speak truth to, an, to, to, to a government uh, which believes in propaganda, which is uncomfortable and which doesn't mind lying. Right? So, mm -hmm. They're serving the masters. They are not serving the democracy. They are, they are also equal threats to Indian democracy. 
because there is a there, there is a very serious uh, threat to indian economy from some of these large funds there are these corporations who have uh, uh, you know over invoice uh, electricity equipment they, they, those who have in, imported bad quality coal which is burned to produce electricity and because of which our pollution and electricity rates have gone up none of it matters to these people they don't have time they have time for you and news laundries and, and of the world Hmm. so so serving the political master of the day is what gives them peaceful night that's hmm. what matters to them and you know and it's, it's it's actually sometimes when you look at it it's very embarrassing because some of our brightest people get through upsc exam you meet them and i've been to the irs academy and other place very smart people they are very smart very good committed people but the pressures of life the ambitions of career all of it makes them into mere goons and you know one higher you know uh, i mean it's just that we pay the salary for them to harass us that's the difference hmm. because a political master doesn't pay them the salary okay now we'll go into the narendra modi period before uh, let's see if any questions come in now in the book you have uh, spoken about the gujarat riots of course the godra uh, train uh, burning before that then the gujarat riots and you have sort of established that what narendra modi did in gujarat from uh, godra to gujarat riots and the harin pandya killings and you know the fake knitted that the entire system has now been co- co-opted at a national level could you ex- elaborate on that see in many ways narendra modi uh, is a product of the post 911 world because he finished from gujarat a few weeks after uh, it's a month after i think 911 attacks and and he's a very clever politician he understands the world has changed and there happens which is one of the uh, most tragic things to have happened in a, in india uh, in, in a long time i mean you know about 60 people being burned to death in a train i think it's it's, it's very tragic it's like the bagan tragedy or maybe worse than that he lands up in godra until then the district collector the police officers even watchway in parliament they also said it is an, it looks like an accident there is no indication there was a grand conspiracy whatever uh, he lands up in godra is uh, terrorism this is a conspiracy this is a con- this is a preplanned uh, uh, attack and from then on he and everyone that he picks on is trying to prove that it was a conspiracy before that he obviously orders the state district administration to hand over all the dead bodies to vhp leaders who take it to ahmedabad to instigate the riots which in in itself was uh, illegal because i don't think indian laws allow you to hand over dead bodies to any uh, tom dick and harry and i don't know why nobody has ever questioned mr modi for that order or that act uh, now who does he att- uh, bring into investigate godra in uh, chapel rakesh astan like as officer who uh, has uh, whose charge sheet in godra uh, case has been shredded to pieces by the trial court mm. the key conspirator that he named some chapu marji has been acquitted by the court the court has shredded that and court has convicted some of them but has shredded the charge saying that there is no grand conspiracy there is a proof of it i mean most of the key claims have collapsed but that doesn't affect the life and career of the police officer agashastana who goes on to have great post and it turns out much later that he's uh, daughter's wedding was hosted by uh, sandesra family who have ran away from india after taking out 15000 crore rupees of uh, bank loans none of it matters and rakesh sana goes on to have a glorious career and modi government goes overboard to protect and promote it and he is now the police chief of this city delhi mm-hmm. now then onwards after that you have a procession of fake encounters and this is not what activists or you and i are claiming this is what gujarat police or cbi or judicial commissions including supreme court appointed uh, committees have said over and again that almost all of those major encounters are fake but all those fake encounters had one common theme in running which is that they were coming to assassinate narendra modi or some other important political leader of bjp or bhp mostly narendra modi and bg vansara is, is a star through all of it Uh, he wrote and a confession the same story repeating now you're, you're saying the entire pattern is getting repeated now yeah i mean and and it is not just in bima koregaon in bima koregaon again they have created a narrative of urban naxals or whatever shit they want to call it 
of having a, a group of some of our finest citizens some of the people who have given up their lives for this country they've all been bracketed into a terror group who are trying to assassinate who narendra modi right and there it is now by no proven that it was a, it was a state sponsored conspiracy to implicate them because weapon uh, like pegasus was deployed against many of them evidence were planted on their computers and they created the narrative and in my book if you recall it's not just about bima koraga i have also documented another case in ranchi where they tried to create a similar narrative but which fell flat on its face uh, where they tried to implicate another a muslim for coming to assassinate narendra modi so there is a pattern to it i don't know whether it is narendra modi himself enjoying this fact of being a victim of potential victim of suicide attacks or is he creating his own image or is it that he has no clue about it and the police officers and intelligence operators out there know that modi enjoys his attention and are creating it repeatedly repeatedly as if the entire society we are all fools i mean there's a it it's it almost to me feels like uh, we are a society of uh, dumbherds who have to believe this you know in the morning get up and say look our leader is under threat Hmm. And in each of these cases, huh, there is repeated evidence. So I, I think we are a banana republic. If we were a democracy, there would have been serious investigation. People would have been in jail, implicated. I mean, there were some who went to jail, and then they get acquitted. So Narendra Modi at Gujarat, what he did was he Gujarat police, like all state police, are already in a bad shape and professional. he just i mean under him that police force just went to dogs and now he comes to center and and you look at the way the modi regime has been exploiting misusing the cbi the enforcement directorate the income tax and every other arm of the state you know there is a intelligence report saying that oh the ngos in this country are causing some 2% loss of gdp hmm. man the government has brought down the gdp dramatically we didn't it's not the ngos which brought down it's it's a modi government which brought down why don't you write a report about that so we we got we got this we got this puppets out there hmm. and we we are in this dala land where all kinds of reports have been created and as i said the overstretched income tax department which is struggling to find revenues for the country in a, in an economy that is collapsing is spending hours sending notices to the news minute and news laundries of the world i mean that there must be something really drastically wrong with those officers hmm. even if even if the bosses tell you you should have some common sense saying that boss my country's economy is in doldrums let me recover as much money from those big rascals let me not yeah. waste time on I, this i ask a question almost on a daily basis so there are a couple of questions coming two questions i am very partial to because i want to ask them myself therefore i will read out those first first is from ragunath mandal in fact mr ragunath i was telling josi this before we started the discussion that uh, so ragunath is asking i really like the book um how can people be more attentive to details in such piece of reality and can you elaborate the ipkf's endeavor in sri lanka and anything else you want to add so i had asked josi before the session began that in the book why did you not speak about like i'm someone uh, who covered a little bit of the ltt at least one or two years from tamil nadu during the last uh, leg of the civil war and what i had learned at that time is that the raw uh, was also sympathetic to the ltt in many ways because they trained them which is why their intelligence was not exactly good or rather their intelligence was skewed the entire intelligence in fact was skewed which led to the big colossal loss for the ipkf so is there anything that you want to add apart from what's in the book and of course this whole point of india's intelligence failing in the ipkf mission see ipkf uh, uh, the, the the ltt was a great classic example for the indian security establishment to realize one fundamental thing which was that terrorism every religion throughout history has been used and misused for violent means whether it's christianity islam hinduism whatever every religion so we should have drawn those fundamental lessons number 2 we should have drawn the big, equally important lesson that whether it's an rnaw or ib if you let them loose they will create monsters for you they need to be democratically controlled which did not happen the third was that and which went today and and forever in uh, human history or in our future is that people all kinds of people literate illiterate whatever 
they all have a sense of dignity. Do not breach their dignity repeatedly. And that's mm. what the present government is doing. They will react. They will react in violent, unimaginable fashions. That's what history has taught us. That's what the future holds. Do not think that you can, you, uh, uh, you know, you can, you can, uh, you can, you can, you can suppress a society or, or a certain community. Muslims, whoever you want to call it, Dalits, whatever you want to call it, the Christians or Hindus, whatever. Do not do it. You might gain some votes for the immediate, but you are you are creating uh, a future that is disastrous for our children. So IPK, FLTT, there's a lot of exam, lot of lessons to be drawn. None of it was drawn, and we are paying for it even today. Basically, India did not understand the local sentiments, the sentiments which Tamils in India had towards LTT, and many other things went wrong. Now I'll go to Ayush Yadav's question again, a question I wanted to ask. So he's saying, in your book, you talked about the phenomenon of terror emanating from Hindu nationalism and how our intelligence agencies get cold feet in investigating them. How does this come to, compare to America, where in recent times, the rise of white nationalism with the rise of Trump has actually set off the opposite response in their security establishment? So that is his question. My question is a bit different. My question is, in your book, you have written about how even before 2014, when the Congress, when the UPA was in power also, there were many indications during uh, terror attacks that there were connections to Hindu groups, especially emanating from Indore, Akur, etc. But the agencies did not want to investigate, though it was not the BJP in power at the union at that time. So his question is, of course, in comparison to America, minus why do they continuously develop cold feet no matter who's in power? So uh, to Ayush's question, all democracies will do that. If, uh, if there's a threat to... See, it's very easy to distinguish between threat uh, uh, and, and non-threat, right? Between right and wrong. So if uh, in a democracy, when you when you know something is a threat, you take action against it. That's what the FBI and others have done in the US. I mean, they went gone after the white suit in a very aggressive fashion. And, and that's what everybody should do. Every agency should do. And, and, and we did not do it because the second part of the question, which you said, which is that irrespective of who is in power, these agencies have largely become anti-Muslim Islamophobic because of 30 years of Kashmir engagement, because of the lack of enough Muslims in the ranks, and because of uh, maybe political reason, but also because probably that what we saw as a most organized Hindutva terror organization, the what is it called, the Bharat, the, 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 the Kanal Purohit and what are the gangs, probably it was a state creation. There is enough in it. It should have been investigated. Nobody bothered to find out who created uh, the, uh, the Abhinav Bharat. Hmm. Where did they get RDX from? RDX did not go from army, or I, I mean, at least from definitely not from army. Colonel Pro did not get RDX from the army. So I am saying that there is much more sinister side to the Indian security establishment than we are willing to acknowledge. Um, there is a question from um, Nandan Lathwal. He's asking what you said, a lot of brilliant, bright people joined the services. He's saying it, he wonders how and where they lose their spine. I, I, I don't know. I wish I had the answer. But I think, uh, you know, as you grow in your 20s and in your 30s, so most of the young officers that you meet in service, they are very uh, idealistic and very honorable. But as they move into their 30s and 40s, the family pressures, the demands for children, the, the ambitions of having good vacations, you know, a lot of things play into it. And uh, they lose the the, the plot. Uh, also, also mind you, in government, careerism is a is a forty year old run, right? Your right. career is is over 30, 40 years. You have to be at on the right side of the powers that be for three four decades. Then only you can reach the top. It's not like you and me. I've changed six jobs, seven jobs, I think, eight jobs maybe. You know, you, do you speak you of have... your friend uh, who used to get negative remarks from the army because he would not uh, stand by false encounters. Yeah, yeah. Brigadier Pramod, he passed away poor chap because of uh, cancer. Hmm. He was asked to stage an encounter, which he refused to do. And from that day, he was he kept kept in negative remarks from the brigadier who ordered the fake encounter after Chittisingpura. This this talk I'm talking about a matter of few months. My friend first refuses to do a fake encounter. Few months later, Chitti Singhpura massacre happens. A few days later, they stage that uh, that uh, shameful fake encounter of 
some poor villagers saying that they were the terrorists began to singpura they are proved innocent later the brigadier and others are still i think out there in uh, i don't think they are in jail or anything but my friend paid with his career and lot of people lot of people lot of officers who have refused to be bloodthirsty have paid with their careers so uh to just answer mr nandan's question it's not just about losing your spine basically the system rewards people who go with the flow who are ready to create fake fake narratives etc so we are going to wrap the session up now with one final question i'm going to read out one line uh, two lines said many political movements around the world mainstream themselves by shedding their violent fringes but the bjp and its larger ecosystem have failed to do that in fact under modi the party has actively encouraged such elements most visibly in its nomination of pragya singh thakur to the bopal uh, lok sabha uh, constituency the reticence of the bjp to fully commit itself to peaceful democratic means and to shedding or disciplining its fringe elements will cost both the party and indian democracy dearly what is your thoughts about the immediate future of this country and with that we'll wrap you know i i think we are in a very serious uh, critical juncture which india has never seen Uh, maybe never after 1970s uh, after the indian emergency uh, we could very well slip into a uh, majoritarian state with the with the strife huge strife chaos a chaotic majoritarian state we won't be peaceful that's a very high likelihood because i don't think the present era of politics is going to uh, end in a very or, or give way to a new one in a peaceful manner um, and 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 in that uh, transition phase we will have a lot of violence so we are going to witness a lot of violence and bloodshed uh there is very likelihood uh, there is a good chance that demo- we might lose democracy uh, uh but i hope i hope uh, the spineless intelligence and the police officers and the income tax officers of the country will all stand up and realize that uh, if, if not for themselves at least for their children they need to stand up on the right side of law and uh, that's only hope we can have well that's kind of ominous but let's not lose hope thank you very much josie and do buy the book and read it all the news laundry podcasts are available on stitcher itunes and any other podcast platform please subscribe to news laundry help us keep news independent to catch all our podcasts on news pop culture current affairs and sport visit newslaundry.com follow us on facebook twitter and instagram and subscribe to our youtube channel 